Welcome to another episode of the Pre-Roll Takes Podcast. I'm A. Handy, and I'm here with my boy, Christian. In this episode, we're going to be previewing the playoff picture for the NBA as the season comes to a close. We're going to be giving you guys our opinion on the Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders fight. And we're also going to be giving you guys our top five center fielders in Major League Baseball history. We've got an exciting episode coming up, and I'm really looking forward to it. We hope you all enjoy. To start off this week, as most teams have about three to four games left in the season, the playoff picture for the NBA is starting to get more and more clear. There's probably going to be a couple more finishing touches, depending on how teams play in this last stretch. But I think we have a pretty good idea of what's going to be going on for the play-in tournament and the first round in general. Yeah, the playoff picture looks pretty clear. It looks like we got 10 teams from each conference that it's pretty set and clear. There may be one spot on the West that changes there at the bottom of it, but it looks like it's pretty pretty much set at this point. But Christian, what do you think about the uh, playing games in the Western Conference? Ooh, playing games for the Western Conference have just gotten that much more interesting considering that the Los Angeles Lakers are now in the mix. Definitely wasn't picturing that at the start of this season, but honestly, if they are staying matched up with Golden State, which I think is going to happen, I do think that having LeBron at least feeling 80% and a healthy AD on the court, I think that will give them the edge in that first game, and I don't think they, I don't think they should be stressing too much about it, but it, it's all, it really just depends on LeBron's health, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite of you right now. I think that the Lakers and Warriors will be that 7-8 and eight playing game, but I just think the Warriors are going to have the upper hand in this game. We don't know what LeBron's going to be like coming off this injury. He doesn't. He he even said that he doesn't even feel like he's going to be 100% the rest of his career. AD's been hurt the entire year and has been on and off the past couple weeks, and I just think in a one-game scenario – you want Steph Curry on your team. The man can drop 60 points in one game, and we've already seen it happen this year. I just think that with all the health concerns around the Lakers, that the Warriors definitely have the upper hand in this. Yeah, I could definitely see where you're coming from. As for this second series in the playing tournament for the West, as long as New Orleans doesn't make that late push and San Antonio doesn't fall off, we're going to be seeing the Memphis Grizzlies against San Antonio. I'm really 50-50 on this series, to be honest. What are you thinking about it? Yeah, this one's kind of interesting. It's kind of the the young versus the old, if you really look at it. The Grizzlies are one of the youngest teams in the league, and the Spurs are one of the older teams in the league. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, I personally think that the Grizzlies are probably going to win this and move on to the next playing game. I just think Ja Morant, he's an excellent point guard, and they just have many role players around them. Yeah, the Spurs have a bunch of those older guys that have bigger names like DeMar DeRozan, but I just think that the Grizzlies' youth is going to be a little too impactful in this game. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with that, especially that Jaron Jackson Jr. is back from his injury. I think that the fresher legs, are it's just going to be the difference maker, especially in a series where... You could go a little more all out with a lot more on the line. Yeah, I think John Morant's about to just have a crazy series. I'm in last year's tournament. He dropped like thirty something, and 
that was him as a rookie with be with more experience. I think the fact that this is going to feel a lot more like a playoff setting than last year, I think John Morant's going to rise to the occasion, and I think he's just going to lead his team over over San Antonio. Yeah, this playing tournament is is something to look forward to, but I think the top six seeds in the Western Conference are pretty set in stone too. What do you think about the uh, top six, Christian? I do think that Utah and Phoenix are going to stay hot going into the playoffs. That's I'm really interested to see Phoenix in the playoff setting. It's been a while. I think the Clippers are in a good position as well. They've got a healthy Kawhi and Paul George. Can't say the same for other teams with their superstars. But Denver, I think uh, my leading MVP, Nikola Jokic, I think he's going to rise to the occasion as well. But I just don't know if they have enough firepower for it. As for the five and six seeds, even though they are decent teams, I don't really see them making too much noise in the playoffs. I could see Luka and Dame. I could see them both having insane runs. I just don't think the teams around them let that run last for long. But anything can happen. Uh, Luka and Dame are definitely game changers. And as long as their best supporting pieces are healthy, who knows? They could have a good stretch of basketball come playoff time. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on those five and six seeds. I I think they're good teams. I think they got solid people on their teams. They have two superstars each on their teams. They just don't have enough firepower like the top four teams do. And really, I think it's the Clippers' year this year in the Western Conference. I'm hoping they make it to the finals. I really want to see them make it there for the first time. And I'm really just not sold on the Jazz and Suns, really, like, they are the one and two seeds in the West. Do they really have the firepower to beat teams like the Clippers, Nuggets, or even the Lakers? Like, if the Lakers are healthy, I mean, they're, they're honestly better than the Suns and Jazz, in my opinion. It's just going to be interesting to see if the Jazz and Suns live up to how well they've played during this regular season. I can see where you're coming from. The Jazz and the Suns, at the end of the day, are not proven in the playoffs. I really do think that the Clippers are going to have a good bounce back here. The team being that good, the way that they went out last year, I know that set a fire in them. I do think that they would edge either team, either one of those two teams out in a playoff series. About the Lakers, though, I do think a fully healthy Lakers team would outplay the Suns for sure. But I think, I think the quality team basketball that the Jazz are playing would definitely make that an interesting series yeah it's honestly going to be a pretty interesting series regardless who the jazz get because if they if they're still up there at number one and they're playing either the lakers or warriors who are an eight seed i personally think both of those teams could beat the jazz honestly i mean we know what the warriors have been the past couple years last year they weren't very good because they were hurt this year they're missing clay thompson but i mean you still got steph curry on the team Wiggins is going to do what he's been doing all year. Ubre will hopefully step up. And Draymond's always going to be out there on the defensive end. So it could be a year that we see a one seed lose. And I think that could be pretty cool, to be honest. Yeah, that's very possible. It's just if the Jazz can rise to the occasion and show that they're more than a regular season team, then I don't know. Anything can really happen. It's it's funny how the Warriors are in this potentially this situation again that if they get the eight seed they could potentially make another historic upset complete different team though but yeah i really think the west is the more competitive of the two conferences though but going on to the east i still think 
there's a lot of interesting situations there. Yeah, the Eastern Conference looks like it's pretty set. There's a couple of seeding changes that may happen here and there, but the playing tournament looks like we have it set on this side already. With the Celtics having a couple injuries there, it looks like they're going to probably stay there at 7 or maybe fall to 8. The Hornets, Pacers, and Wizards are all within a game and a half of each other, so that will be pretty interesting to see how those three turn out. But it's good. I think the Wizards have the upper hand in this play-in tournament with how well Russell Westbrook's playing. And if Bradley Beal can come back healthy from this hamstring injury he has, I think they have the upper hand in this play-in tournament. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with you on the Wizards being a team that has the best situation in this case because paper, I would say the Celtics were the better team until they just lost Jalen Brown. I think that's a huge hit for them that they're not going to be able to bounce back from. I do think that Charlotte could make a push, but without Gordon Hayward being back yet, I just don't know if they'll have enough firepower against the Celtics. But Lamelo Ball's back. I know he he really works well with that team. I think he can. I think he could really push them over the Celtics in a one game series. Yeah, this playing tournament on the East is going to be very interesting. What's also pretty interesting is four through six right now. They're all within a game of each other: the Knicks, Hawks, and Heat. And honestly, that's pretty big seeding if you really look at it. No one thought the Hawks or Knicks were going to be this high this year at 4-5, and five, especially the Knicks. The Knicks have kind of mm-hmm. surprised everybody. And it looks like, as of right now, it's going to be the Knicks and Hawks versus each other, and then the Heat and Bucks. But if I'm the Hawks or Knicks, I do not want to have to play the Bucks in the first round. Yeah, I don't think that either the Hawks or Knicks have the pieces to set up a game plan to really address Giannis. And... I don't know. I think the Bucks really did. I think they're more focused for the playoffs this year than compared to the last couple of seasons when they were dominating the regular season. I'm expecting them to really make a solid push. But the fact that the Knicks are at the four seed and Julius Randle is leading the way, that was probably the last thing I would have expected at the start of this season. I also think that this Hawks team being mostly healthy, I think that's going to be something interesting i think trey young could definitely step up in a playoff series and just go absolutely ballistic i'm pretty surprised that the knicks and the hawks got over the miami heat though i know that they started off slow and all that but they've definitely been playing better basketball as of late yeah i mean the knicks and hawks that's probably one of the series i'm looking forward to most in this entire first round i mean it's two young teams that were not expected to be this high up in the standings. But, I mean, if you just look at both of them, they match up well together. They've been playing well all season together. And it's just going to be a fun series to watch. I mean, the Hawks, it looks like we're finally healthy. DeAndre Hunter could not have come back at any better time. He's going to have a couple games to get under his belt to get knock off the rust and then go straight into the playoffs. But, I mean, when you look at the Knicks, Julius Randle has just been going absolutely bananas this year. It's, it's going to be an interesting series if this is what it turns out to be. And I'm honestly just looking forward to the Knicks and Hawks series. Yeah, I agree with that because those are two teams that could definitely score a lot of points. And I'm expecting a lot of buckets in that series. But compared to the Western Conference, though... With the East, I don't really think that the 7th and 8th seed that comes out of this play-in tournament, I don't think that they can make much noise against the 1 and 2 seeds. I just think Philadelphia and Brooklyn are they are just too good. 
compared to these teams that are just fighting for the bottom spots. These guys are, in my opinion, clear-cut contenders. I would honestly give the edge to Brooklyn over Philadelphia, even though Philadelphia is at number one. I just think Brooklyn's a lot more suited for the playoffs. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, and I'm really excited about this upcoming playoffs. It's one I'm looking forward to. I said this a couple episodes ago. I haven't been looking forward to the NBA playoffs in a very long time, and I just think that this year it we're going to see some good basketball in the playoffs. The play-in tournament is another great addition. It's going to make it a lot more competitive, and I'm just excited to see who comes out on top. Super middleweight title fight. And Christian had some pretty interesting predictions about the fight. I think Canelo's just going to walk him down and body shots are going to be killer. I think he's just going to end up stopping him seven between the 8th and 10th round. That's what I think is going to happen. And what do you know? Canelo stops him in 8. That fight was a very entertaining one. Billy Joe Saunders definitely put up a good fight, in my opinion. I just I think Canelo had control over the majority of the fight, and he was really just setting up that shot that literally caved his face in. Man, that was just a beautiful uppercut. Yeah, I mean, that was a great fight, to be honest. Canelo looked pretty dominant out there. There were at times where Billy Joe looked really good, too, but at the end of the day, Canelo just looked way too powerful, and... Billy Joe just didn't want to come back out there because he couldn't see anymore. Yeah, so from what I've heard, he's definitely had multiple bones broken in his orbital. At first glance, I really did think that Billy Joe went out as a quitter, but once learning about the injury, I do understand why his corner took him out. Because it was his lead eye, and that's definitely a huge disadvantage, especially when you're up against a pound-for-pound great who is looking for the kill i don't blame them for stopping it when they did because it was just gonna unfold into something worse if they didn't yeah it was a little disappointing that the fight stopped in between rounds but you got to look after the health and safety of the fighter i mean the man literally could not see out of and couldn't see out of his right eye and i mean just stopping the fight right there is just gonna keep his health and safety under check and it's a good thing that they did that and it's nice to see a couple of days later that he came out and said that he was okay and that he'll be back and ready in no time. Yeah, I, I do think that Billy Joe Saunders could still keep his name relevant in the super middleweight division for sure. It's definitely still top five even though he just lost, but he just if he wants another shot at Canelo, he's, he's going to have to prove a lot. He's going to have to beat a lot of top names. Um, it's going to be a long road if he wants to get that chance again. Because the way Canelo finished him, I just don't think it's there's really any room to ask for a rematch. Yeah, I definitely think that Billy Joe can definitely work his way back up there. It may be a little difficult now, but that was only his first loss. And having only one loss to possibly the best fighter that there is right now, not a bad loss. But the one thing that I'm kind of interested in is... Where is Canelo going to go next? So, Christian, who do you think Canelo is going to fight next? As long as no ducking is involved, I think he's going to fight Caleb Plant for the undisputed super middleweight title. And I say if there's no ducking involved is because 
I, along with a lot of other people, think Caleb Plant does not want the smoke with Canelo. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think that Caleb Plant is definitely his next fight. And I do have to agree with you that Caleb Plant is definitely ducking Canelo and he does not want to fight him at all. There's been talks about this fight happening multiple times and Caleb Plant just doesn't seem like he's interested and at this point he kind of has to be because he is the only other person with a belt in this division and Canelo usually isn't the type of person to come out and call out people after fights he usually has that come to him but after the fight he said he wanted to fight Caleb Plant and I hope this happens soon yeah and to be honest I think I honestly think Canelo dominates Caleb Plant in a more brutal fashion than he did Billy Joe Saunders. Canelo's just a lot more used to fighting orthodox fighters. It's another slick boxer, but we just saw what he did with a slick boxer who's a southpaw, so against somebody that he could use more of his arsenal against, I just it's not looking good for Caleb Plant right now. Yeah, it's not looking good for Caleb Plant, but he's going to have to end up fighting Canelo anyway. But do you think there's a chance that he just vacates the title so he doesn't have to fight Canelo? While we've seen crazy things like that in boxing happen before, for sure, I think he wouldn't do that for the sake of his image because that would just be a straight-up coward move, in my opinion. I don't. I do think Caleb Plant is hesitant on fighting these top guys, but I don't think he's full-on against it. I think they will eventually fight. But I just, like I said, I just really don't think it's looking good for Caleb Plant. I don't think he his skills match up with Canelo's well. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I think that this fight will definitely end in a knockout in Canelo's favor, and I honestly think that it's probably going to happen even earlier than it happened with Billy Joe Saunders. But we'll have to see later on this year or next year if this fight comes about. I hope it's this year, and I really hope that Caleb Plant stops ducking Canelo. Only one more belt for Undisputed for... In my opinion, pound for pound number one, Canelo Alvarez. I can't wait to see what happens because there's a lot of things that he can do. Even in the case that he does get this undisputed title, he's got a lot of big fights to make even after that, and I'm just really looking forward to it. And now it's time for our top five. (laughs) For this week, we're going to be giving you guys our top five center fielders in Major League Baseball history. A lot of the best center fielders are among the best to ever play the game. This was definitely a tough list to come up with. Took some time, but I'm glad that we did because this list is some of the best of the best. Yeah, like Christian just said, this is these are some of the best players to ever step foot on a diamond. I mean, it was very hard to come up with this list, and I'm excited to bring this list to y'all. For my number five, I have Ty Cobb. Statistically, one of the greatest hitters ever. He holds the highest batting average in Major League history. He is just one of those names of from the older era of baseball that really stands out. One of the names that doesn't get mentioned as much as, you know, like the Babe Ruths and the Lou Gehrigs. I know he played a little even before them, but he just definitely, on paper, is just one of the best to do it. Yeah, Ty Cobb's a great choice at number five. Can't really go wrong with him. I was stuck between him and Joe DiMaggio at number five, but I ended up going with Joe DiMaggio at number five for me. Joe DiMaggio is just probably one of the best pure hitters of all time. He won nine championships with the Yankees, was part of Murderer's Row. I mean, his accomplishments just are endless. And I mean, when you hit 
when you get a hit in 56 straight games, I mean, that's probably one of the records that will never be broken in any sport. And that just shows how good of a hitter he actually was. Yeah, that's like a, a Wilt Chamberlain tier of a record. Joe DiMaggio was definitely one of the best ever. As for my number four, I've got the guy with the sweetest swing in baseball history. I've got Ken Griffey Jr., the kid. Just a all-around great talent when it comes to hitting, when it comes to fielding. One of the best defensive center fielders when he was healthy. Yeah, I just think Ken Griffey Jr. is definitely going to be remembered as one of the best to do it for a long time because that swing is just too iconic. Yeah, I have to agree. He has probably the sexiest swing in baseball history. Every kid loves it, wants to mimic it, and he's at number four for me too. Ken Griffey Jr. was just an absolute stud. I wish I was able to watch him a little more. I was a little too young um, when he was at his prime, but he's still an all-time great. His second half of his career was a little injury-plagued, and he would be up higher on my list if he didn't have that injury-plagued second half of his career. But for what he did for the first 10 to 11 years of his career, not many people can match what he did. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, Just imagine his home run total if those injuries weren't bothering him that whole second half. For my number three, I have one of the top three greatest New York Yankees of all time, Mickey Mantle. Just a another fight like multi-tool guy and that was that was a lot more rare at the time but you just had a guy who could hit from both sides of the plate who could play the field at an elite level with a cannon just one of the most successful center fielders on this list he had seven titles i know joe dimaggio had nine but him and mickey mantle shared a good bit of them not only is mickey mantle one of the greatest center fielders to ever do it he's also possibly the greatest switch hitter to ever do it and he definitely deserves a high position in this list, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mickey Mantle is one of the greatest center fielders to ever play. But at number three, I have someone who's currently playing, and his name is Mike Trout. And to be honest, when his career is over, he'll probably be at number one on this list and at number one overall. But for right now, he's number three on my list. But what has Mike Trout not done on a baseball field that hasn't? shocked or surprised everyone i mean he literally has done everything right since the day he walked in the only thing that he is lacking right now is playoff experience in that championship but hopefully that will turn around here this year and they'll make the playoffs he'll finally get that but mike trout one of my favorite players ever and i just could not leave him off this list even though he's only been in the big leagues for nine or ten years i don't blame you for having him here uh, this might be a little bit of a hot take. I actually have him at number two. I know he hasn't even possibly gone through half of his career yet, but pace that he's going at, I just think that it's inevitable that he's going to end up being an undisputed number one. And as for the playoff experience, I agree that he does need that on his resume. But in my opinion, he's definitely done his fair share for his team. And I just think the team around him hasn't been able to, not even close to match that. I just I think we have a lot to see from Mike Trout still I think he's somehow still improving to this day and I'm just really excited for when we could definitively call him the best ever but at number three I have Mickey Mantle the best switch hitter of all time in my opinion he ranks up there with Chipper Jones and Chipper Jones is there at number two but Mickey Mantle I mean what has he not done I mean 
even though he played a long time ago, won many championships, hit lots of home runs, played great defense. I mean, what did he not do? The guy just talked about Mike Trout. Everyone's talking about how he's the reincarnation of Mickey Mantle. Yeah, I don't blame you for putting Mickey over Trout. Trout still got a lot to a lot more to accomplish in his career and as of right now Mickey does have him beat in a, little, a few statistics. My number 1 though, I've got Willie Mays, the Say Hey Kid. There's an argument for him at his peak. He could be possibly the greatest defender in baseball history. And on top of that, he's also just one of the greatest hitters ever. When you're regarded as possibly the greatest defender of all time and you're number six on the home runs list, that just, that gives, I think, a decent idea of how dominant you were on both sides of the field. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Number one, I have Willie Mays too. I mean, when you talk about an all-around complete player, a five-tool player, Willie Mays was the definition of that. And He's arguably probably one of the greatest players to ever step on a diamond, too. His fielding was great, hitting was great, base running was great. He just did everything great. And we always, we know him for the legendary catch he made over his shoulder in center field. Many people have tried to do the same thing and can't. And we see why, how difficult it was. But Willie Mays is arguably one of the best defenders and hitters to ever play baseball. Yeah, that's for sure. And about that legendary catch, I just find it insane that he covered all that ground and polo grounds, which is just insanely big in center field. Yeah, I mean, when you cover that much ground, especially with how deep polo ground center field was, I mean, it's honestly one of the best catches to ever happen in a Major League Baseball game. But that was our top five. We hope you all enjoyed it. And if you guys have any differing opinions or any points that you want to make on this list, you can let us know at our Twitter page at PRT Podcast. And we're looking forward to seeing what you all have to say. And that does it for another episode of the Pre-Rolled Takes Podcast. We had a lot of the talk about this week with the NBA and boxing and a little bit about our uh, favorite baseball players. If y'all want, you can follow us on our Twitter page at PRT Podcast, and you can also follow my personal Twitter at ahinty2215. You can also follow my personal Twitter at C underscore Sanchez underscore five. And this was another great episode, Alex. I'm looking forward to next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week and we should have some inter- some more interesting stuff to talk about. Peace.